The scripture for today is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. So when I read that scripture this week, first thing it made me think about was the Boy Scout motto, right? Always be, there you go, prepared. I was a Boy Scout. I don't think I ever achieved anything as a Boy Scout, except maybe, is there a badge for throwing flaming marshmallows at? <laughs> My Boy Scout troop was from Dadeville, Alabama, and so really all we ever did was go camping. But it did instill in me a love of camping that I already kind of had and still have to this day, and so I wanted wanted to share with you a camping trip that my family went on where we were less prepared than we could have been. Over the Christmas break, going from 2019 to 2020, we canoe camped the Everglades, and I have some pictures here. This is where we put in, uh, it, and that's about what it looked like. Yeah, it's just a narrow little trail through the mangroves, and um, we got there around noon on that day. We had driven as far south as we could, stayed at a little hotel south of Orlando. We got up the next day and drove to the national park, but you can't get permits online. You could only get them in person, and so we didn't know if we'd be able to get a permit when we got there, and sure enough, they said, well, there are some permits available if you're willing to go ahead and go now. Well, by that time, it was already lunchtime, so we were going to be in a bit of a rush. So if you just scroll through the, the next couple of pictures, this is what it looked like. You, you just, you're paddling through the mangroves. It was beautiful in kind of an eerie kind of way. Sometimes it would open up and be really pretty. And as we were paddling, the sun just started getting lower and lower in the sky until we didn't find our platform until you can kind of tell by that picture that it's, the sun's pretty low in the sky at that point. And we were genuinely worried that we might not 
get to it. If you go back one picture, you will notice that the name of the platform in the bay where that is, can you see that? Is Hell's Bay. And (laughs) appropriately named, one of the things that we had planned on was Leanne and I were going to stay in that tent. And if you go back to that next slide again, you'll see it's a modest little, you know, they call those three-man tents, but we all know what that really means. At best, it's a two-man tent. And all three of my kids were insistent that they were going to sleep in their hammocks. And that was a great idea. We've all hammock camped before. They're comfortable sleeping in hammocks, and I'm comfortable with them sleeping in hammocks. But what we were not prepared for is that as soon as the sun went down, mosquitoes the size of vultures (laughs) and like a legion of them came out in a way that I have never experienced anywhere in my life. And I've grown up in the South, you know, and been around mosquitoes, but, but this was a whole different kind of level of mosquitoes. And the kids did have little like bug nets to go over their heads, but they didn't have, anyway, long story short, they said, well, we still want to try it. We'll just zip all the way up. But because we were at the very southern tip of the United States, it was still 80 degrees, you know. Long story short, uh, it turns out that's a five-man tent. <laughs> and uh, we, we all five slept in that tent. Um, because we got there so late, we did uh, all get several mosquito bites, and I had to cook outside. It was um, outside the tent. It was, it was a real mess. And, and I say that to say that It was absolutely beautiful, but we were not as prepared as we could have and should have been. And that's what our story is about today. It's about the ten bridesmaids, or as I said, the parable of the good Boy Scouts. As I read through this, though, a few questions popped up. And the first is, well, what do we need to be prepared for? And the text answers that one chapter earlier. This parable is a parable that's actually in line with two others, the parable of the talents, which you all know. It's where the the landowner gave talents to his servants and then left and then came back and called for an account, right? And two of them had gone out and put their talents to work and they had doubled them and one of them had buried it in a jar and just gave it back to the owner and you all know how that went. The next story is of the sheep and the goats, Remember, and it says at the end of time, the Son of Man will separate people like the sheep and the goats. And the sheep basically are the ones who, who took care of their neighbor, who saw them hungry and fed them, who saw them in need and took care of them. And the, and the goats are not. And you all know how that story goes as well. All three of those parables in Matthew chapter 25, incidentally, the last chapter where Jesus is teaching in the book of Matthew, are an answer to a question that comes at the beginning of chapter 24. And the disciples are walking around and Jesus points to the temple and he says, you see this, how awesome this is? Not a single stone is going to be left here. They're all going to be knocked down. And the disciples, once they got him aside, said, when is this going to happen? And then they clarified their question and they said, when are you going to return and when will be the end of the age? And so the rest of the teaching in chapter 24 and these three parables in chapter 25 are an answer to that question. But there's a problem with the question. And that is no one in Matthew's day thought that we would still be talking about this 2,000 years later. They expected 
that the return of Christ would be as quickly as the resurrection of Christ, right? They expected it would be soon. I mean, like right on us. In fact, Paul said, don't even bother getting married. There's not time for that, right? There's, Jesus is coming back right now. And, and so the problem, when we begin to think in abstracts, like, like when is Jesus going to return? Now, now, no one knows that. That doesn't stop some preachers, you know, of, of saying that they do. And every one of them in 2,000 years, by the way, has been wrong. But, but every one of them, because we love certainty, has found success in saying this is what it's going to be. And, and none of them have been right. The problem with thinking about something that we don't know when it's going to happen is what does our brain do? It puts it off. We procrastinate. We don't think it's upon us. And so I want to frame the question just a little bit more close to home today and say every one of us has and will again go through valleys in their life, valleys of the shadow of death, where you need oil for your lamp. And if you don't, you will know it. You know what I mean? Every one of us will. You have and you will again. And... Every one of us will have that one-on-one -on -one with Jesus one day. Sooner or later, it is going to happen. And so instead of thinking about this in terms of an end of all eras, if we just think about it a little bit more personally in a way that helps us understand why we need oil for our lamp, I feel like it was a little bit more helpful at least to me. But, but then there's, that raises another question. And that is not what are we preparing for, but how should we then prepare? Incidentally, that's the question Jesus answers in these three parables. He does not address the when or, or even what a whole lot. He addresses how you could be prepared. And so as I was looking through this parable as well as the other two, I came up with just a few things that I thought might be helpful, at least they're helpful for me. And the one is count the cost. So think about those 10 bridesmaids, right? When you or I are going to a wedding, it starts the day we get a save the date in the, in the mail, right? We open it. It's going to have a cute little picture of the couple. We're going to stick it on the refrigerator and we're going to remember. And then a month or two later, we get a really expensive and nice gold foil invitation. Yep. Some of y'all have paid for those before. Mm-hmm. You know. And on that invitation, it is going to have the place, the date, and the time, we know exactly when it's going to happen. And we're all going to show up in the church. And if the service doesn't start at the time that it says it's going to start on the invitation, we all start doing this number. Right? But, but this story comes from a time when people didn't have calendars or watches. And so when a wedding was scheduled, the only person who really knew when it was going to be, and he probably didn't either, is the groom. And the groom probably had to get ready and do some things, right? Like maybe finish out the harvest or the planting. He might have had to finish building his home or whatever the case is. He might have been from a town over. The point is, no one really knew. It could be 24 hours or 24 days, right? And so these bridesmaids, I'm sympathetic for them. 
They go to wherever they're going to wait for the wedding to happen. And on the way there, they pass by the little general store. And just as the owner of every business has ever been, he's a salesman, right? And so he says, you know, ladies, you should probably buy a little extra oil. And some of them fall for it, and they do. But the others are like, look, this guy's just trying to sell me something. How many times have we said that, right? And they don't. And it turns out they're the ones unprepared. And so when you think about counting the cost for that unforeseen valley of the shadow of death that is right around the next corner for any of us, whether it's with our job or with our personal health or with a relationship or with our kids or whatever the case may be, it's not something that you can cram for the night before like you could maybe a math test. You can't take a handful of vitamins the day before you go see your doctor. In fact, it's not only is it not going to help you, it's going to be pretty bad for you. you. You can't, if I said I wanted to run a marathon next week and in order to train for it, I'm going to run 16 miles tomorrow. Not only am I not going to finish those 16 miles, I'm certainly not going to finish the marathon next week. When I was in youth ministry, parents would have a problem with their kids because, hello, everyone has had a problem with their kids at some point, right? And they would say, youth pastor, would you go have lunch with my kid? And how many times did I go have lunch with a kid who I had never met before, had never been in the youth group, whose parents only came to church on Christmas or whatever, and they wanted me to fix something in one hour that had built up for 16 years? The point is, you can't cram for this. What, the way that you count the cost, the way that you be prepared, I think, for whatever the next challenge in your life is going to be, whatever that next dark valley is going to be, is by creating a lifestyle and habits that make us healthy spiritually, physically, mentally. Often we can understand that, you know, if I want to go bench press 200 pounds, I'm not going to do it overnight. I've got to work out for a year, or in my case, never. But the <laughs> point is, it, it takes work. And, and we recognize that about physical things and mental things and stuff like that, but I don't think we often think about it in terms of spiritual things as well. If we want to have full jugs of oil for that next spiritual dark season in our lives, we have to establish practices now to get us there. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. I didn't tell it at the early service, but I spoke with someone afterwards and it jogged my memory. About 10 years ago, I finally felt guilty enough that I had never read the Bible cover to cover. By that point, I was already a full-time pastor. I had been to seminary. There was zero excuse for this guy to have not read the Bible cover to cover, other than every time I felt guilty enough to do it, I didn't have the things in place that I really needed to do to get it done. Does that make sense? One time someone told me they read a chapter a day and then they journaled about it, and I tried that. The problem is I would journal for too long, and this turned into a 30-minute or hour-long practice every morning, and I don't know about y'all, but at the time I had little kids. An hour every morning was not sustainable for me, and it wasn't until I created a framework of accountability and something that was easy enough for me to do. So what I did is I started a Twitter account. At the time, Twitter was only 140 characters. So I could read one chapter and then basically write two sentences about it. And, and people online saw that 
and knew whether or not I did that day. So I, I built in some accountability and I built in an easy structure for me. If you have never read Atomic Habits by James Clear, put that one on your read list. As far as breaking bad habits or creating good habits, he just gives you so many nuts and bolts, little life hacks to help you get into that. So count the costs is the first one. The second one I would say is develop your strengths. And you see this especially more, more so in the parable of the talents where God gave everyone some talents. And the, the word talents is a denomination of money. It's not the way we use the word talents. But I think, I think the, the truth tr- teaches itself. It's the same kind of, of, of thing if you'll allow me to go there. And so I, I just want to ask you guys, Like, what are the strengths God has given you to use in this life? Because one day there will be a time when there is not enough time. Does that make sense? But in between now and then, have you been, you know, wanting to write a book? Have you been wanting to, you know, start a new business or or start some kind of mission project or a ministry out of the church or something like that? If you wanted to start a YouTube channel or, or whatever it is and you haven't, for whatever reason, either, you know, in my case, sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes I just don't build the systems in that I need to do. Sometimes it's because I'm afraid. Like if you, if you create something, if you write something and put it out there in the world, people are going to judge you on that. And that's part of it. But in the very beginning of the Bible, God created and then God called us to be co-creators with him. And the call is for us to develop our strengths, whatever our talents are, whatever our resources are, to leverage the things that God has given us in this life to make a difference in the world around us, to go and do some main character kind of stuff, some player one kind of stuff, right? There's a great story in uh, Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and he was talking to one of his friends whose daughter was dating a deadbeat. And if you've ever been a dad in that position, and my daughter's almost at that position, uh, I have seen it happen a dozen times where the more a dad says, you really shouldn't date that boy, the more she's going to date that boy, right? You all know how this works. And they could not get it, like, communicate to her that, like her own self-worth, that she doesn't deserve to be talked down to, that, that this guy was not right for her. And then their family went on a mission trip. And they got involved with an orphanage in Africa. And it was so life-transforming for them that when they came back, the daughter continued to raise money, continued to stay in touch with the people that she had met there in order to make sure that that orphanage got built. And in time... She dumped her boyfriend. And the line of the story that I remember is that the dad was telling Donald Miller this, and he he said to him, anyone who's playing the hero in their own story does not have time to date a deadbeat. Right? When we develop our strengths, we go out and we play the hero in our own story. God has made you to be the hero in your story, not to be a supporting cast. As the story says, you cannot use someone else's oil. You can use yours, and you can develop it, and you can grow it, and you can build on 
the resources and strengths that God has given you. And then the last thing that I would say about how we can be prepared is that we go and we be the church. That we don't view church as something that we go to, but something that we are when we leave this place. Does that make sense? That we, all of us, you and I, leave here today and every day with the intention to go and make a difference in the world, where otherwise the difference probably won't get made. That we use those strengths, that we use those habits, that we use the relationship that we have with God, all the tools in our tool belt to go and embody thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When Jesus stood up in Luke chapter four, and it was his very first sermon according to Luke, and he said, I'm here today to proclaim release to the captives, good news to the poor, sight to the blind. You remember that sermon, right? That we go out on Sunday afternoons and that's our marching orders. That we go out and our call is to find where those injustices are taking place or people are in need and we correct those needs best we can in whatever ways that we can. It doesn't mean that we're going to solve all the problems. We're certainly not, certainly not without God anyway. But that we get out there and we do what we can with what we have. And and I say that we do that for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we have a lot to prepare for. I fully believe that God has called us to this community to make a difference in this community through the schools, through the city, and beyond, Shelby County, Birmingham, Alabama, the world. We have a lot to prepare for. And the other thing is this, when you do these things, when you prepare, when you employ your gifts and your strengths in the work of God's kingdom, when you go out and you are the hands and feet of Christ as the church, it doesn't just set you up for one day when you're gonna need that credit in your account when you meet Jesus it makes your life better right now. This isn't just about someday. This is about abundant life today. This is about not missing the opportunities that we have now while they are right here before us. And so I wanna tell you the rest of the Everglades story. Um, That night, we obviously didn't get a whole lot of sleep, but we were woken up the next morning by dolphins um, who were, they were pushing like mullet up into the mangroves or whatever. And so we heard them, you know, blowing. They would like be under our deck and then blow, spraying us with water, stuff like that. Blowing all around us and chasing the, the fish and just stirring up the water. And so we got up early, we got in the canoe and we went to the next little chicky hut, which is actually on our way back to the, to the, the put-in. And that was nice because then we had a shorter uh, canoe on the last day. But we, we got out early in the morning and we had a short canoe. So we were there long before lunchtime. And then suddenly, we had time to enjoy the place. And so here's, here's Charlie, my daughter, sitting, sitting out there in the middle of nowhere, right over the black water. And then I think there's probably another picture of it. Yeah, see, we got to sit and enjoy all of our good looking Chaco feet there. Any Chaco fans? Okay. Uh, there's, I think there's a couple more, yeah. Oh, and so then what happens is we get to experience this. This was the next morning, this was sunrise. Uh, and again, we didn't sleep, so we were all up for it. But, but these are the kind of memories that I get to make with my family because we, because we took that risk. I, I recognize canoe camping the Everglades is not for everyone, and I totally understand that. 
but for us to get out there and be able to take this opportunity to do something that wasn't even on my radar to do. I didn't even know that you could do this and, and create memories with, with my family is that abundant life that um, at least that I'm, I'm after. And so um, I wanna encourage you all to be about a life that lives completely prepared as best we can at least for whatever that next valley is ahead of us so that we can make a difference in the community and so that we can make a difference in our own lives and in the lives of our families. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just want to say thank you for the opportunities that you have given everyone in this room and the skills and gifts that you have given everyone in this room and the accomplishments that have already come out of this room, the families that have been raised, the businesses that have been started and run, the relationships that have been built. And God, I want to say thank you for all of the relationships and businesses and missions that are yet to be built out of this church. God, help us to see your vision. Help us to have the courage and the wherewithal to be people on purpose and for a purpose. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.